morning, Moran. I got to be here a little early this morning, and so I just want to say thanks to the tech guys that come faithfully every Sunday morning and uh, handle those last-minute details so, uh, so graciously. So let's give those guys a hand. And then there's also just some people that show up and just help in whatever needs uh, there are. So I got to meet uh, Sean today, who is one of those guys that just came early and just said, hey, where do I need help? Uh, where does the church need help, and how, how can I do that? And so uh, it was just cool to, to see that happening in our church. Um, my name's Chris Kuypers, and my wife Cindy and I uh, have the privilege of serving on the uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ that make up the prayer team. Uh, we've been at Moran for three and a half years, and our family's been very blessed in our time here. Um, today I'm going to be teaching on preparing the soil, but before I do that, I just kind of want to transition to that, and I wrote down some thoughts because I just want to make sure I got this right. Uh, so the first thing is, welcome to the first Sunday in Advent. Yes. For those of you who haven't grown up in the church, Advent's the time of year in the church calendar when Christians begin preparations to celebrate Christmas. Of course, you don't need to be in a church in America to know that this is the weekend that the calendar flips from fall to winter. Uh, you can step outside in the snow. Uh, you can look at the change in decorations from fall to Christmas trees and lights, uh, regular music to Christmas 24-7 on the radio, uh, from celebrating harvest to shopping for gifts, uh, from counting our blessings to finding ways to bless and to give to others. Um, and it strikes me that we are in a season of similar transition within our church. Over the past few months, we've had opportunities to reflect on our harvest, on how God has blessed Moran through our leaders and their gifts, even as some of those leaders, like Dave and Britton, move on from our body and others like Stacy and Daniel transition out of their clearly defined roles while continuing using their gifts to bless the body. In all this, we've celebrated God's faithfulness to us as a church and as individuals in the years when he has produced a bumper crop and in the lean years when he's given us manna just enough for today. A couple years ago, we began a transition here at Moran as we studied Acts 2 and sought out what God was calling us to as a church body. Last week, our elders shared where we are at, at, where we're at in this transition, and while that testing and transition has proven to be challenging, our God is faithful. Amen? Every week, my family is blessed to worship with you, with a group of believers here at Moran that are devoted to scripture, to its teaching and application in our lives. This body is devoted to Shema, a Hebrew word which means both listening and obeying. This body is devoted to fellowship, to breaking bread or pancakes with each other, and to doing life together. And this group of believers desires a harvest, to bear fruit in our own lives and in the lives of others. While our elders shared that much still remains unclear, one of the things that is clear is that God's calling on this body, worshiping at Moran, involves each of us using the gifts that the Spirit has given us to bless each other and our community during our times of worship. Which brings me to today's scripture and teaching, which I hope will help us transition from Thanksgiving to Christmas, from celebrating and remembering what God has done to preparing for the, give, the giving of gifts 
that we pray will produce the next harvest. So let's begin with scripture from the first Christmas to direct our way forward. Mark 1, verses 1 through 4. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Could you please repeat after me? I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So I ask you, how do we prepare the way for the Lord? We make our path straight. We shema, the Hebrew word that we find over and over again in scripture that tells us to listen and obey. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I need to listen and obey. To follow his leading in doing so, the shepherd will make my path straight. In Psalm 23, we read, and you can repeat after me one more time, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness. In other words, he makes my paths straight. Continuing on, in verse 4, Mark writes, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. If God is inviting us to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and to use the gifts of the Spirit that he bestows on us to worship and to do life together, then he is calling us to repentance, to turning from the things of this world that distract us and make our path crooked. In the message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson says, they were baptized into a changed life. This is the teaching. God is calling us to repent. A little closer? Okay. If you've been around the church for long, I'm going to raise this up. I think that might help. Some of those guys are tall. If you've been around the church for long, you know this teaching. I certainly know that God has instructed me to repent, to turn away from sin, and to live a changed life. But in my experience, this is something that's hard to do well. Pleading for mercy and asking forgiveness seems easier than practicing repentance regularly. So I'm left with the question, how do I practice repentance? There is a rabbinic saying that, sa that goes like this, a teacher without a parable is a basket without handles. Give you a second to think about that. In other words, the parable gives us a way to carry or to use the teaching. In 2019, my wife and I had the opportunity to travel to Israel with a group of about 65 students and teachers and to learn from Ray Vanderlaan about the land and the culture that the Bible was written in. It was a life-changing experience for us. And one of the most powerful moments of the two weeks was when Ray took us to a field and taught us a parable on repentance 
today, I'd like to share what I learned with you. Uh, this is not from me. This is almost exclusively from the things I learned from Ray and then obviously testing it with scripture. <coughs> with the hopes that it can give handles to our basket, allowing us to better practice repentance both individually and communally to prepare the way for the Lord in this Christmas season. So we're going to start in Mark 4, the parable of the sower. You guys want to turn if you have your Bibles with you? I think they got it on the screen. The parable of the sower appears three different times in our scripture. Uh, we're going to read the one out of Mark. Each one's just slightly different uh, with a little different emphasis. In Mark chapter 4, we read again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and set, sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. I love this picture, right? So, uh, so the crowd is so big that they can't hear him. So Jesus, being really smart, says, hey, if I go out on the lake, I got an amphitheater, right? It's going to reflect off the water and people can hear me. I just love that picture. It has nothing to do with... The, the teaching, I don't think, today, but just, just really cool to think about. Um, and so as they're sitting there along the shore, uh, probably fields around them, uh, the farmers in that area uh, would farm right up to the water. And so beautiful fields all around them is the way I like to think about it. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, Shema. A farmer went out to sow his seed, as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let them shema, listen and obey. Whoa, parables. Uh, it's been said that a uh, parable that needs to be explained is like a joke is worse than a joke that needs to be explained. Um, I guess when I read this, uh, the first thought is, what does all this mean, right? Because it's written into a different context. I'm certainly not a farmer, uh, and and so to interpret this is really challenging. I just thought we could take like 60 seconds and just maybe with the people around us talk about what stood out to us from the parable. And what do you think some of those pieces might mean? Understanding, like, there's no judgment here. Like, say what you think, and if you get it wrong, like, you're just like me. So, uh, go for it. Okay. Now that you've had a chance to share with each other, let's, let's see what you think. Uh, any thought on who the farmer might represent? The farmer who sows the seed. Who might that represent? Any brave soul? Yeah, the farmer is God. God is the king. When it, in parables, when there's a king, and unless it says 
something that refers to the king of, of men, of, um, of earth, an earthly king, uh, or the farmer in this case, would be God. Uh, what is the seed that is being sown? The word, the word, the word of God is the seed that's being sown. Uh, any thoughts into what the soil represents? Our hearts, the soil representing our hearts. Um, and the, the path, the path representing the word that can't penetrate the soil because it's a hard, hard soil or a hard what? Heart. Right, which is what we read a lot in the Old Testament. Uh, God calls the Israelites people that have hard hearts. Um, the thistles, what would that represent? The distractions, yeah, the busyness of the world. It's hard for us to imagine, like I had no idea until we went and visited Israel and learned about the culture of the day that Hellenism was so prevalent in that time that the glorification of self and of pleasure and of leisure was so prevalent. I walked away from the experience saying, Jesus lived in a time 2,000 years ago that wasn't very different than our own time. Uh, obviously, you know, some of our distractions are different. He didn't have cell phones and things like that, but, but the, the idea that there were lots of distractions around in that time just like there are for us today, stuck with me. Um, and, and so the thistles and the thorns representing the things that choke out, the w that leave no room for the word uh, in our lives, the busyness of our lives. And what about the rocks? The sin. Rocks representing sin. So uh, if you struggled with that, don't feel bad because the disciples did too. Uh, in fact, Jesus had to, in verses 10 uh, through, through 20, Jesus basically explains the parable, right? He takes them through step by step. I won't read it all because we just kind of covered what those things represent. Uh, but in verse 13, um, we read, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? seems quite harsh to me. And then he takes them through step by step. If you don't understand this, how are you going to understand anything I have to teach you? Uh, this appears at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, at the beginning of, of the ministry with the apostles. And I think that's important. I think what Jesus has to teach the apostles here is something that's important for us in terms of how are we going to do this life together with Jesus. If we're going to do this well, if we're going to journey together well, Jesus would say, if you're going to be my apostle, then I'm holding you to a certain standard. What would it take for us to be able to understand this parable well, is what he's asking, right? What is what he wants to teach on. What do you need in order to be able to understand this? And that's to understand the biblical context that we find around this. What's the biblical context? In Jeremiah chapter 3, verses, uh, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 4, verses 3 and 4, we read this. This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed grounds and do not sow amongst thorns. Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts. 
you people of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. I think also the context of the story is important as well. The parable of the sower falls, uh, is the first teaching. Immediately after this teaching, in Mark 4, we read about a lamp on a stand. Now, there's two different teachings in gospel about a lamp on a stand. Um, maybe the more familiar one is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, uh, where Jesus uh, talks about uh, a lamp being put on a stand to give light, to the idea that we're to reflect to the world what Jesus is like. But this lamp on a stand is different than we read about in Mark 4. The, what we read about in Mark 4 talks about the lamp revealing. Let me read it quickly for you. Do you bring a lamp? Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. In other words, the light, or the fire, in this case, is meant to reveal. If you could pull up the slideshow for me a minute. It's hard for me to do this with you guys without making it experiential like what we had in Israel. I thought about actually taking you guys out to Moran Park right across the street and doing this, but I thought, you know what, it's pretty cold out, we're not prepared for this, the ground is really hard, this would be really challenging. But if you can go to the next slide, um, what we did as a group is we went into the land of Israel, this is um, the area of Zebulun, uh, and into the Nahala, the inheritance of the Israelites. Now, these lands aren't being farmed here currently. Uh, it'd be nice if there was like beautiful fields of wheat here. Uh, they're actually being rented out because most of the Israelites today uh, have normal jobs like what we would consider westernized jobs of you know engineers or teachers or bus drivers or tour guides or they have a shop. Uh, and so they don't farm their fields anymore, most Israelites. Uh, what they do is they rent their field out to Bedouins uh, who have um, cattle and sheep that graze in this area. And then in exchange for that, they get some meat for it. So uh, they get their Thanksgiving dinner uh, in exchange for being able to farm their land. But this is the land that was set aside for the Israelites. And every family, uh, every group got their own piece of land. And so this is the, the, the picture of what you would have uh, in these areas. So what we did is we went into these fields, and if you can move on to the next slide here, uh, you can see a path, it's landlocked, so here's the path that the seed gets scattered on, the hard hearts, and then if we go to the next one, uh, there's the thistles or the thorns, which I think looks a lot like the thistles and thorns in, my, uh, in, in our yard that, that have been popping up. Uh, and so what we did is we went around, if you can go to the next slide, and we were challenged to go into this field, uh, into this Nahala, this inheritance, uh, and to pick out stones. And it was hard. It was hard to find them, first of all, because there were all these thistles and thorns, and it made it hard to, to find these thorns, uh, I mean, the, these rocks. Um, the idea was experientially looking for the sin in our lives and, and, and getting rid of it. Uh, and we started out kind of doing it by ourselves, um, but inevitably what would happen is somebody would find this this rock that they thought wasn't very big and they'd try to remove it. That was our, our, what we were called to do is to take these rocks out 
And they'd start kind of digging it up and realize, oh, man, this rock is a lot bigger, a lot deeper than what I thought. And there was just a lot of experiential learning that we, we gathered through this. And so uh, Cindy took a couple pictures here uh, of us doing this, first me trying to do this by myself, and then uh, my friend Tim coming alongside to help me out here uh, and, and eventually get this rock out. Um, here's some students who are doing the same thing in, in their areas. And there was just so much learning that and things that we were able to talk about that made this come to life. Um, and some life lessons that I want to touch on in just a minute. So um, the idea of doing this, but then also doing it communally uh, as we confess. Uh, this is my friend James, who is much stronger than me. I could not carry my rock, and so he took it for me, uh, one of my football players. So, um, And then finally, uh, making a pile of our rocks. You know, what, what initially um, was... Uh, an individual effort, then at the end we were able to celebrate the rocks that we've overcome during the course of time. There's just a lot of learning, and I kind of want to unpack that with you guys a minute. Um, the first thing uh, that I want to unpack is um, why was Jesus so frustrated with his disciples? Why would he say, if you don't get this, how are you going to understand anything? Jesus expected his disciples, his followers, to know his word. Right? that they would know and understand what those things represented because they would know Jeremiah, uh, because they would be familiar with that. And when I look in at this passage myself, I'm challenged. Like, how much time am I spending in the Word? Uh, how much time am I spending to reveal this, uh, what's going on? Um, the idea that in order to be able to see the sin that's in our lives, uh, we got to burn the thistles. We've got to burn some things and get rid of that in order to be, the, be able to see the rocks, to get rid of it. Uh, and, and so I think about what does that mean in my life? What are some things that are, are keeping me busy that, I'm, that, that God might be calling me to, to give up, um, to get rid of? And it could be good things. It uh, could be very positive things. And I think this is, this is something to be done in community, to be done in conversation with with friends, uh, with a group of men or a group of women or your spouse or your parents or your, uh, as a family? Um, where's the busyness in our lives that's keeping us from, from seeing the rocks? Uh, and then the second piece is on the rocks. How do we break those rocks up? What's our weapon? Um, and I think that, that brings me back to, to Scripture. In Jeremiah 23, verse 29, I think this is so cool. Jeremiah 23, verse 29 says this. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord? Does not my word burn the thistles? Doesn't it eliminate, get rid of, right, uh, the, the things that are distracting? And isn't my word like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? And so as I think about carrying out, you know, my basket, taking this and putting legs to it, what is this calling me to do individually? What is this calling us to do as a church? How do we do repentance? Um, and I think it starts with being in the word. The challenge to, uh, to know our Bible uh, and that the, the Bible will reveal to us that it's a fire that reveals our stones and our rocks. And then it's a hammer that breaks those rocks for us. Um, and, uh, and, and that this isn't done alone, that this is done communally. And, and then I just think this is hard work, right? Um, when we were doing this in that field, we got, we got muddy, we got bloody, we got sweaty. It's hard work. And I think that's true 
in doing this together, uh, in doing this by ourselves, it's even harder. Uh, and, and the ability to, to come alongside each other and encourage each other uh, in this hard work together. And that my job isn't to point out the rocks in other people's lives. My job is to encourage and inspire and, and to um, hold and, and to be asked to be held accountable to be in the word, that, the, the, that God would reveal that in my life. Uh, and so those are some of the things that, that um, I took from the scripture, uh, that I was taught from the scripture. And um, the last piece that I just want to share is um, from Mark 4, verse 20. And it, it says, Others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what is sown. Uh, this is not normal. Um, this would have struck, like to me this doesn't, I'm not a farmer, this doesn't mean a lot to me, but um, it was explained to us that like seven times would be a lot, 10 times would be crazy, but 30 times, 60 times, 100 times, and when, when Jesus would say 100 times, that would make them think back to I, uh, Isaac in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 12, we read, Isaac planted crops in that land, in the desert land area, and in the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Moran, our challenge is um, to bear fruit in our own lives um, and in, uh, as, a, as a church. Um, but we are not the farmer. Our pastor is not the farmer. Our elders are not the farmer. Our job is to prepare the soil. And so when we think, I need to come to church to be fed, I think we have it wrong. I think we need to be in our Bible to be fed. The Word of God is where we go to be fed. And so as we take some time to pray for our elders, and we think about what does this look like moving forward, and as they're challenged with, helping us interpret scripture and understand the Lord's leading. I just am challenged individually, personally, that my job is to prepare my field, my soil, my heart, and to pray for my leaders as they lead us in the direction that we're going. And so, um, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Stacy to do that. Okay. Does everybody have one of these sheets? Ah. If you don't, there are more up here. Um, and there are some in the cafe as well. So we are going to spend some time just praying for our elders right now. Um, this sheet I wanted you to be able to take home so that you can keep doing this throughout this week, but also moving forward. Um, and it's just, I, this is, I did not come up with this. This is from a book <laughs> that I read. Um, so we are going to be covering their spiritual needs, personal needs, and ministry needs this morning. And if you're an elder, can you raise your hand again? Okay, so... 
Oh, right here. <laughs> okay, Carol, can you actually move forward a little bit? And then, so Carol is going to be up here. Chris is back there. Al is over here. Um, and I'm going to have you guys in the back there pray for Dennis, and I'm just going to record it for him because he is home not feeling so great today. So, um, first, I'm just going to pray through this. We can pray it together, and then we're going to pray over them individually, okay? All right. So, um, if you want to put that spiritual needs one up, and then you should have it on your sheet as well if you want to just kind of follow along as we pray. Uh, Lord, first, I just want to thank you for our elders. I want to thank you for their willingness to serve and for their hearts that said yes to your call. And Father, we praise you and we thank you for all they have put in up to this point. Um, God, that they have sacrificed, that they have served, that they have loved you, and they have um, loved us so well. And so, Jesus, thank you for that. We thank you for the endurance and the perseverance that you have given them. Um, and so, Lord, we just want to cover them today. We want to encourage them today. And so, God, I pray that you would um, move through us, that your spirit would fill us, and that you would give us uh, words of encouragement for them, that you would... Um, just help us to love on them well this morning and throughout the week. So, God, we just want to cover their spiritual needs this morning, Lord, that you would give them a spiritual freshness as they devote themselves to prayer and to your word, that their daily walk with you would be intimate and spirit-filled as they serve, that they would walk with you in holiness and integrity with true humility in righteousness, justice, love, compassion, and faithfulness. Father, that they would know your unconditional love and freedom in Jesus. That they would have discernment and sensitivity to what is pleasing to you. That they would wear their spiritual armor daily. And that you would protect them from the evil ones spiritually, physically, mentally, personally, emotionally, and practically. Father, we pray for their families this morning. That they would grow in the Lord. That they would be a godly husband or wife. That their children would walk in your ways. We pray for their health and safety and protection. Lord, we pray for joy and peace and victory as they serve, despite difficulties, pressures, and circumstance. Father, we pray that they would boldly share you, that they would be motivated by your spirit and your love. They would be equipped and empowered by your spirit and their calling. We pray for your wisdom to be poured out over them, Lord, for discernment in all their decisions, contacts, appointments. We pray that you would disciple believers through them into Christian maturity under their leadership. We pray that they would receive your grace when they are tempted to be too hard on themselves or others. We pray that you would keep them true to their God-given purpose in their ministry and that you will guard and prioritize their time for the important without getting sidetracked for the urgent. We pray that you would bring along encouragers who would minister to them regularly. We pray that under their leadership, our church would be a house of prayer, glorifying you in love and oneness, and that you would revive hearts through them. Um, and so if you feel so led um, to pray through this this week, that would be great. Um, but right now, we're just going to pray over them individually. So I have also, you should have a piece of blank paper. And so as you're praying over them, if you want to get closer to them. You're welcome to. If you're not, you can pray from your seat. Um, 
if a verse comes to mind or something specific that you feel are feeling led to pray for them, if you could write it down and then give it to them before you leave this morning. This is just kind of stuff they can take home and read later or throughout the week. Um, and I will sit back there and collect Dennis's. Um, so as you're praying, you can pray this stuff. You can just pray as you're led. We're just going to take a few minutes probably five minutes, um, to pray over them. Uh, can, you, can you just stand for another so that we know where we're headed here? Okay, so again, Carol, Chris, and Al, and then I'll come back there for Dennis. Um, and just kind of gather around them if you're comfortable. Are you guys, I should have asked you beforehand, I'm so sorry. Are you comfortable having hands laid on you or not so much? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, great. So if you're comfortable <laughs> laying hands, feel free to gather around them um, and just start praying over them. And then again, if you hear something specific or a verse or whatever, write it down on a piece of paper and give it to them to take home. Sound good? Okay, great. Go forth. <laughs>